always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Ashley Frasca along with you for another Saturday morning. Welcome to Green and Growing. Hey, thanks for sticking around for the show today. On until 9 o'clock, you made it to Labor Day weekend. Congratulations. Hopefully you are, uh, well, maybe you're still in bed. You're going to plan to enjoy a long weekend. You certainly deserve it. I know many vacations have been canceled and big family plans have been canceled. So at least we've got a good holiday weekend here with uh, a, a nice forecast of some weather. So I think everybody can get out and enjoy the last little bit of a heat spell, I think. I think uh, WSB meteorologist Kirk Mellish had his autumn outlook on, if you were listening to the program during Atlanta's morning news on Thursday morning of what we can expect for the fall. So read his blog on WSBradio.com. Many of you, if you're anything like me, are just itching to get into a little bit cooler weather. But nonetheless, welcome to the show today, a show very full with your calls, 404 Eight seven two zero seven fifty, and of course Walter Reeves, former host of the Lawn and Garden Show, will be along at six thirty. We're going to talk about weeds. There's so many, so much to do, so many best practices to prevent them. So we'll cover all of that maybe within a ten minute span. And then NASCAR driver David Reagan, semi-retired, comes along at seven o'clock and has a busy weekend himself racing at the Darlington Raceway. So we'll talk to him. And then the garden to-do list, as I always give you three things to do. This one's a good one. It doesn't require a lot of energy or a lot of exertion on your part, the three things that are probably best to do this weekend. But I had a conversation earlier this week with UGA turf specialist Clint Waltz from the University of Georgia, and I want to let you hear a little bit of that conversation. Lawn myths, some of the things that we do wrong or that we hear from neighbors and other folks about, well, try this. This may work. And he's going to debunk some of those myths. So I want to let you listen into a conversation with myself and Clint Waltz. You're listening to Green and Growing right here on WSB. I am happy to bring experts to the show to give you the best advice possible. And Clint Waltz is a great friend of mine. Met him through Walter, and he's been on the show once before. So extension turf grass specialist for the University of Georgia. Works down at the Griffin campus and also teaches up in Athens at UGA. Clint, hey, welcome back to the show. Good morning, Ashley. Happy to be back. You are a leading expert on everything Georgia Turf, and I want to direct folks to the website too, Clint, georgiaturf.com. They can find out a lot of information they may need to know. But right here, we're going to be talking about lawn myths. We've done this once before, and I'm ready to run some things by you again. You ready? Let's see where it goes. That's right. (laughs) Just how crazy they get. Okay, we'll start off with one that's not so crazy, but there has been talk in the industry whether or not it's proper to use lawn clippings as compost. Some say it's good for the lawn, provides nitrogen, but others say it could carry weed seeds and just be detrimental to the lawn. What do you think? This has actually got some fairly good research behind it. Um, I'm aware of a colleague that did uh, some of her PhD work, and it was up in Connecticut, I believe it was, but she actually showed that returning clippings back to the lawn, uh, and we like to refer to that as grass cycling. If you do that, you can wind up returning about a third of your nutrients back so and actually reduce your fertilizer inputs that you need by about a third on an annual basis by just returning your clippings. Now, I think the caveat to that is you can't let the grass grow too tall. So you need to wind up maintaining the one-third mowing rule. 
So as long as you're moving no more than one-third of the leaf canopy in one single mowing and letting those clippings fall back into the, the canopy, the soil microbes will break those down, will mineralize the, the nutrients, and make them back available again to, to the plant. As far as those weed seeds, weeds are going to wind up applying seed back anyway. That makes it a little easier for us. We don't have to keep empty in the bag every few passes, so very good. All right, we'll stick with the mower. I have never even changed the height of my mower blade, wouldn't even know how to do it. Why should they? Why is that important? Well, maintaining the proper mowing heights for the species of grass that you're growing um, is, is just best for the, that particular species. So, for example, something like Bermuda grass or zoysia grass is best maintained at uh, one to two inches of mowing height, whereas something like St. Augustine grass or tall fescue, those two species really do much better at higher mowing heights. So having the mower set for the particular grass that you're growing is what's going to be best for the grass and give it an opportunity to have a stronger root system and survive periodic stresses like drought or heat or pests or, or what have you. And speak to the importance, too, of keeping the blades sharpened as well. Oh, um, sharp blades always improve things, improves the quality and appearance. It reduces the physiological stresses on the grass plant itself of having to recover from, from a bad wound. Because you got to think of it, anytime you mow, you're, you're creating a wound on that plant. So you want to have as fresh and easy a wound, or easy to heal wound as possible as opposed to a ragged torn up wound. So uh, sharp mower blades go a a long way towards maintaining proper health and and growth of your turf. Here is a question that has probably been called into garden shows around the country, Clint. So this one, put your thinking cap on. I call on a garden show, hey, there's got to be a product you can recommend that'll bring my lawn back to life where Fido keeps using the bathroom and it's killing the grass (laughs) in spots. (laughs) Well, uh, it's not really a product <laughs> or a chemical, or you might would say that chemical would be hydrated oxygen or water um, <laughs> is urea, and it's a salt. So most of what you're seeing out there is a salt burn. So if, if you've got a situation where your dog goes to the restroom in the same area of the lawn, lightly irrigating that and washing that salt off is, is going to be the best thing you can to reduce that that, that burn or phytotoxicity that, that you're likely to see on some, some grasses. And some grass species are more sensitive um, Believe it or not, zoysia grass, which actually has pretty good salt hardiness to it, uh, I've seen in the landscape show far more um, pet urine burn than, than some other species out there. But lightly irrigating some of that in on a daily or every other day kind of basis and removing some of that salt burn is about as, as good as the water is going to be the best thing for you there. Next is one that I just thought of, too, another reoccurring call. People just, I think, uh, thumping their head against a tree sometimes with this one recommending a grass, they're looking for a grass that'll grow in full shade. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I think there the myth would be is that grasses will grow in full shade, and most of them don't. Most of our, uh, the most shade persistent or hardy turf species we have, uh, I'm comfortable with down to about three and a half to four hours of filtered to intermittent sun a day, and that can be tall fescue and some of our zoysia grasses uh, on those, but if they get in less than, than that, then it's really a a site that's not well suited for turf grass at all. And my attitude is I'm looking for a grass that maintains commercial acceptability down to a particular amount of shade. You get below three and a half uh, hours of filtered intermittent sun, some of these grasses will persist and hang on, but they don't hold what I think is a commercially acceptable appearance and look in 
you know, generally that's when homeowners are unhappy and, and that type of thing. Yeah, there's grass there, but it's thin, it's open, it's unthrifty, it's not growing, it's not particularly aggressive. It's there. Um, as my granddaddy would say, it's holding the world together, but that's about <laughs> it um, kind of thing. It's not giving that attractive appearance that a lawn and grass should. You know, we've got some tall fescues uh, that, that will go down to, like I said, about four hours, we, to three and a half, four hours. Some zoysia grass is down to about four hours. St. Augustine grass, maybe four and a half to five hours. Uh, on some of those, but that's uh, a filter to intermittent sun during the growing season. But anything less than that, you need to probably be looking at mulch or a uh, shade hardy ornamental. Good recommendations there. Okay, I've got one more for you, Clint, because this is September. This is a great time to think about seeding um, a fescue lawn or overseeding Bermuda grass in some cases, but set us straight on the order in which we need to A, seed the grass, that's really important because we want a good lawn for the spring, but also we want to use a pre-emergent around this time of year too to get ahead of the winter weeds. So how do we go about doing both without one canceling the other one out? That's actually a little bit difficult. And I guess the easy answer on that is if you're going to seed, you got to get the seed out first. Because uh, a pre-emergent herbicide that's going to be there for weed seed will do the same thing to a tall, uh, tall fescue seed. So if you put out your pre-emergence here in September and then you come back in and seed in October, that pre-emergence is going to work just as well on that tall fescue as it would on annual bluegrass um, that's, that's germinating in September, October as well. So the simple answer is that uh, you'd seed first and then you'd wind up putting your pre-emergence out later. Where it gets more complex is by waiting on that tall fescue to germinate and come on uh, and start to, to grow before you put your pre-emergence down, well, many of your weed seed have probably already germinated already, so the pre-emergence isn't going to do you a lot of good. So if you need to do a lot of seeding or add a lot of seed back to it, then you're probably not going to do a whole lot of pre-emergence um, applications, and you have to control your weeds post-emergently in the, uh, later in the winter or early spring. That's good news and bad news. You're absolutely right. But one thing, other than a pre-emergent, of course, one thing that's the best weed preventer of all is just making that turf a lot more strong, right? Absolutely. I like to say it's the best defense and the strong offense. Ooh, so yeah. if, if our grass is uh, the, the strong offense and is growing growing aggressively, then it's going to uh, compete well or favorably with, with any weed species that are coming on, too. So absolutely. And, and if I had my choice, if you've got a, let's just say, marginal to, to thin stand of tall fescue, I think you're better off to come in and seed and try to do everything you can to improve uh, the stand and hardiness of that tall fescue than, than trying to control the weeds pre-emergently. Well, Clint, thank you so much for your time, and I'm excited to tell folks that you're going to be back on the show, and this time we'll have an opportunity for you to take calls on October 17th, so I'm going to keep promoting ahead to that because I know folks will want to ask you their burning lawn questions, so October 17th, Clint will be back for a couple of hours. October's not far away, even, you know, here we are now, so <laughs> looking forward to it, actually. I always have a good time on Saturday mornings with you and Walter in the past, so looking forward to it. Take care. So one of the questions, one of the lawn myths, just folks being frustrated and looking for a lawn or a grass that'll grow in shade, right? So Clint addressed that a little bit. It needs at least four hours, if not more. Otherwise, you're best just putting shady ornamentals or mulch down. And also a friend of the show, Bruce Holiday, reached out to me on Facebook and said the difference between a full sun grass and a full shade grass is really only two hours of sun. He says Bermuda needs around seven hours of sun. Fescue needs around five at, at least four or five to be optimal. It doesn't have to be all at the same time. It can be dappled and throughout the day, but 
Uh, Bruce finds that a solid five hours is at least good enough for fescue. If zoysia doesn't get at least six hours, it'll be a little thin and more susceptible to weed encroachment. So I've recommended Mondo grass to folks. It is expensive. It takes a lot more time to fill in, but Mondo grass is kind of like a monkey grass, but it grows much more compact and short, doesn't require mowing. And it's beautiful. It could be used as a border or just to fill in a, a flat area. But like I said, you have to be patient, have some time and money to spend on that. So thanks to Clint Waltz, Bruce Holiday for weighing in. We're going to get to your calls. 404-872-0750. This is Green and Growing on 95.5 WSB. Luke Bryan here on Green and Growing. I hope you're waking up happy today. It's a, it's a holiday weekend. It's a Saturday morning. It's going to be a really nice weekend, and I'll tell you why. The weather brought to you by Finley Roofing. Today, going to have a high of 89. It was a little warm the last couple of days for my tastes. So 89, that's manageable. Low around 68. We've probably already hit that. High humidity, though. And then tomorrow, only a 10% chance for a shower. Mix of sun and clouds. A little less humidity tomorrow, 86 And 66 is the low. Kind of the same story on Monday, too, for your Labor Day plans. A mix of clouds and sunshine. Green and Growing! Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. Going to get right to Mary in Douglasville here in just a second. But your garden to-do list, number one, you can plant peonies now. Make sure the crowns are buried only an inch and a half or two inches below ground level. Don't go too deep because deeper planting, that keeps the plants from blooming. And they like full sun, but morning sun is better for them rather than getting worn out with hot, hot afternoon sun. And they need those chill hours in the wintertime to do well. Loose, well-drained soil is where you want to plant peonies They get morning sun. Number two, this is one I'm going to talk about throughout the show. Clean out your hummingbird feeders. Maybe put out fresh water once or twice more. They're stocking up on energy now to head south. And the ruby-throated hummingbird, that's the one we most commonly see that's green and white here in the eastern U.S. They're likely to leave the area between now and late October. So you've got to make sure nectar is out there for them. Four parts water, one part sugar. You can make your own. You don't have to use food coloring. Number three, clean up around fruit trees. That's crucial because weeds and debris act as hosts to overwintering insects, and you don't want that bugging your uh, fruit tree. So just rake up debris and mulch well. Keep mulch below the tree's root flare. Don't go too high up against the trunk. 404-872-0750. Hey, Mary in Douglasville calling with a question about a Meyer lemon tree. Yes, uh, I've had it for years, and this is the first year when I have lemons, and it's loaded with lemons. But do you know if they'll ever turn yellow? They're, they look like limes. They they will. Sometimes Meyer lemons, we've got to make sure they get enough sun. So does it get at least seven or eight hours of direct sun a day? Okay, so a lot of sun. Okay, okay, that's good. It's got to have at least seven or eight. And they feed heavily on nitrogen. So if you've not fertilized them, use a, a fertilizer, maybe a 18-18-18 or something that is like a ratio of two to one to one. So double that first number of nitrogen to what uh, phosphorus and potassium has. One good fertilization is good. And I'll tell you something else, Mary, too. 
some folks experience with Meyer lemons, they could take seven or eight months to mature and to ripen. So they do require some patience on our part from time to time. And they can stay on the tree and stay green for months. And it's best to let them stay on the tree until they fully ripen because that goes back to any fruit tree blueberry bushes same thing the longer you let the fruit stay on the tree it's going to ripen all the sugars kind of do their thing and it's going to have a better flavor so the lemons may not be turning yellow just because they're not ripening on the tree long enough so really patience is all you can do but one of the most important things if it has been a while and you still feel like it's not ripening properly is that sunshine sunshine is key for those we love our Meyer lemons here in Georgia because we're able to overwinter them They do really well in pots, and you just make it easy on yourself where you can start to bring them in when temperatures get around 50 degrees. Thanks for the call, and we'll talk to John and Kennesaw and you. Coming up here on Green and Growing, you're listening to WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries on 95.5 WSB. I just want to give a shout out to Jason and DeMarco who help run the show. DeMarco answering your calls, doing a fabulous job, I might say. 404-872-0750. And Jason picks all of the good music. We're on a country music kick here the last few weeks, and I love it. I think Jason works so many different shows, and you just kind of get to know the host. I mean, we've worked together now for a number of years, but get to know the host, what they like, what the listeners kind of groove to. So both of you guys doing a fantastic job today. Thank you so much. Someone else who has done a fantastic job for years and years and years hosting this show in this very chair is Walter Reeves for 25, 26 years uh, hosting the Lawn and Garden Show. And Today we're going to talk about weeds, and I want to do a shameless plug for the show's Facebook page. When you go on Facebook, Green and Growing WSB is what you search. Uh, Like the page, follow the page, because I have a photo album, Weed of the Week. So every, the beginning of every week, I try to post a picture of a new weed, and trust me, they're all in my yard. (laughs) They're all found in my yard. Uh, We discover together, we identify them, discover what they are, where they grow, what they like, that way we know how to treat them. So with just that little bit, I'm able to share that information every week with you. So that's kind of what prompted my questioning for Walter Reeves and Walter Wonders this weekend. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. Now you've come to know that in hour one of the show, here we are in the six o'clock hour, the bottom of the hour, sometimes I wake him up, sometimes he calls 10 (laughs) minutes early just because he got a good night's sleep on Friday night. But that is when Walter Reeves calls in and joins us live via telephone. Hey! I look forward to it every Saturday morning, Ashley. I know our listeners look forward to it too, and some of them message me and they're like, but I'm not up at six o'clock and I always miss Walter, so we repost Every yeah. conversation you and I have on WSBRadio.com under the uh, 
on-demand section. And what we discuss is always timely. And a lot of times you guide me with the topics that are timely, but sometimes I have ones that I want you to talk about. So this one I, I love, and we've had a lot of fun with this topic together over the years as I worked on your show for eight years. But you inspired me to start that Weed of the Week photo album back in the yeah. day on your uh, Lawn and Garden show page that was on WSBradio.com. So that was my task, and I learned so much from it, trying to take a picture of a weed that I saw every week, try to identify it. If I couldn't, I'd get your help, and then learn a little bit more about it and how to treat it. So I've brought that back. Yay, good. Yes. Because that's the, the first thing to do for weed control. Know what the weed is. Just identify it correctly. It'll be so much fur- further ahead if you know what you got. That's where we start. So on uh, the Facebook page, on Green and Growing WSB, when you search Facebook for that and like the page or follow the page, look under Photos, and it's an album, Weed of the Week. And every Tuesday, thereabout, I try to post a picture. And they're always pictures that I've taken because I have no shortage of weeds in my yard oh, that I good. can photograph right now. So uh, we'll identify them and, and learn to treat them together. And one that everybody went crazy about, Walter, the first one, Spurge. Doggone Wow, spurge. people went crazy over that. You know, it's an annual weed. It's something that you should not have any trouble controlling. But because it's so distinctive, it's flat, you know, spreads everywhere when it grows and can grow in every crack and cranny in your garden. Spurge can be a real problem, a real mm-hmm. bother to a, lot of, to a lot of gardeners. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so we've had uh, we've had numerous things on there. I just can't even think right now. I've put... Um... Uh, mimosa weed for me. Mimosa weed got more responses when I posted that on my Facebook page than anything I've ever done. 111 comments about mimosa weed. Wow. And then I've a got one weed. that reminds me of a mimosa tree, but it's chamber bitter. That's not the same, is it? Same, yeah, same thing. Oh, it is same the same thing. thing. Okay. Different names. Chamber bitter, mimosa weed. All right. Uh, New is another name, but yeah, they're all the same. And then rabbit tobacco. I posted that huh. one recently, and I haven't let it grow up tall, but just the fact yeah. that it kind of looks like a... I don't know. It, it almost kind of reminds me of what a head of lettuce would look like if it was laid <laughs> flat to the ground. And instead of being yeah. leafy, it's like long, blady kind of flat yeah, leaves yeah. on it. You never smoked it either, right? I never did. No. Oh, actually, I did. I, <laughs> I wouldn't did even know I how. I smoked but, rabbit tobacco. But you it, have to let it grow, yeah, don't you? You don't just use yeah, the flat yeah. leaves. The flat part on the ground is the rosette. It takes two years to make the, the uh, leafy spike that sits up and has a flower on top of it. And so that rosette that you see that's flat to the ground goes for one year. And the next year, it starts growing a spike. It's about two feet tall, I guess. It has these little thin leaves on it. And those thin leaves are very aromatic and can be, if you're taking your life in your hands, can be smoked. And I used to as I was a kid because what else are you going to do out in the country to you know, risk life and limb but smoke <laughs> rabbit tobacco? Living on the edge, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I want folks to, to look at this Weed of the Week photo album on the Facebook page and even submit pictures of a weed. Just make sure it's sure. a very clear picture and free of anything in the background. You know, it's going to be tough if... If I, I'm not sure what you're showing me a picture of, if there's uh-huh. three different things going on in there, um, and make sure it's not blurry, and we'll work to identify them. And you know what I found, Walter? You've got so many good resources on your site, but uh-huh. I recently found one that the University of Clemson put out, um, and it's really cool, too. It's got pictures of weeds, and then this chart, it's a weed control timing chart, where it literally Ooh, lists nice. common weeds, and yeah, it's Clemson, South Carolina, but so similar to us, sure. uh, common weeds, and then has a calendar of when to use a pre-emergent on that particular weed to prevent it or when's a good time to use a post-emergent on it. 
And now's a great time. You know, in early to mid-September, a great time to put a pre-emergent out because yeah. they prevent seeds, all these weed seeds that we do not want. It prevents them from germinating. And so now's a great time to think about pre-emergence on some of the winter annual weeds. And now when we talk about using pre-emergent in a lawn, and yeah. now, you know, beginning of, to mid-September is a good time to do that, does it matter if we're working with our cool season grasses or our warm season turf? No, because uh, pre-emergents have no limitations on the kind of grass that can be used on. So some of the post-emergents that kill dandelions and clover and things like that, you have to read the level closely and know what grasses it can be used on. But the pre-emergents, no, there's no limitation on what lawn you can use them on. Okay. And we're still a little ways from the warm season turfs going dormant, you know, like Bermuda and centipede, things like that. But what are some of the weeds that we would see in the wintertime that just look awful, this bright green up against this dormant brown Bermuda lawn? Chickweed, 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 chickweed. Uh, Chickweed, henbit, um, what's another good green weed? Uh, dead nettle is the third one, but oh. chickweed is a real one that you don't know that it's there, but it's germinating in October. It's little tiny green wheat, little, little tiny green leaves. They're barely an eighth of an inch across, and they will sprout. Chickweed seeds will sprout and become two feet across if you let them grow without preventing them germinating. And so if you get the pre-emergent out in September before they germinate in October, you're way ahead of the game. And the same goes for those of you that have fescue lawns. You know, it's so um, encouraging back in March and April when you've got this lush, beautiful green fescue lawn because we stayed on top of pre-emergent last year, seeding last fall, and then seeding in the spring. You know, we did a lighter application of seed for fescue in the spring, and it looks so good. But I'm telling you, if you even so much as let one week go by (laughs) that you don't either, you know, irrigate it properly, say that it was just a dry week and you never got out there, or you skip a couple weeks mowing, it gets away from you. It gets away from you fast, Walter. But the best thing to keep a green, nice, cool season grass like fescue to keep the weeds at bay is to strengthen that grass. I mean, that is the best thing you can do. The stronger the grass, the less weeds you're going to have. You're right. It shades them out. It outcompetes them. And so for fescue, as you mentioned it, uh, since you mentioned it, the best time to start fertilizing fescue is in September. Yeah, September, and then once again in November or so, and February, and then maybe some in April. But if you fertilize the fescue when you're supposed to, you get a lot more competition for the weeds. And then the weeds, you don't have to use a chemical. I don't want to use a chemical if I don't have to. And just by making your grass stronger, you are helping to control weeds. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm all about, you know, manual removal too, if I can. And in the beginning of the summer, it, it wasn't that bad, but now it's so overwhelming to get all of that out of there. But let's talk about, because you just hit on this, in the fall, we're thinking about seeding for fescue, but then here we are having this conversation at the beginning of September for applying a pre-emergent. So you've had a lot of folks over the years, obviously, if a pre-emergent is going after something you know, to prevent it from going into seed and from germinating, which order do we want to do that in? Do we want to seed the fescue first, give it six to eight weeks, and then use a pre-emergent or use the pre-emergent first? Mm. That's the safest thing to do because the pre-emergent can't tell the difference between fescue seed and weed seed. And so if you put a pre-emergent down first, you really run a problem depending on the weather and the rainfall of it, preventing your fescue seeds. You spend all that money to to put out, uh, not coming up. So I would go 
the seed comes first. And when the fescue seed is up and nice and growing strongly, it'll say on the label, by the way, how long you have to wait. Then after that, if you still want to and have time, put the pre-emergent after that. Seed for cool season grasses first and then do a pre-emergent for weed prevention. And read the label, follow it to know how long you have to wait. Yes, absolutely. And then, so we talk about pre-emergent, trying to get rid of the weeds before we even see them. But once we've got them, as a lot of folks did, you know, late this summer, messaging me about this particular weed. How do I treat this? You know, Roundup, glyphosate, you know, that that is going to treat a lot. But unfortunately, it's non-selective, as as we all know, Walter. So it's going to kill everything that it comes in contact with, that spot of grass, the weed, everything. So we've got different, like, active ingredients that we can look on the label and figure out what they're targeted to, Mm -hmm. right? And rather than just saying, oh, do you need one that has quinclorac in it or one that has sulfentrazone in it? I'm just going to say there are three main products, main brands that do really, really well. I'm not going to try to say one's better than the other. But the three ones that I think are really good are the Bonide Weed Beater Ultra, Ortho Weed Begun Max, and the BioAdvanced Season Long Weed Control. All three of those, BioAdvanced, Bonide, Ortho, are all excellent broadleaf weed killers. If you read the label, know what grass it can be used on and what time to do it, any of those three would be a good choice. Broadleaf weed killers. And then the other type of weed that we're dealing with sometimes is the grassy Grassy. weed. Yeah, and they're harder. (laughs) Sometimes for them, the only thing you can do. Dallas grass, oh, it's so hard to control anyway other than spray it with glyphosate, with Roundup, kill the clump, pull it out, and put your sod or fescue seed if you want to in the place of it. But you just can't find many chemicals that homeowners can use that can control Dallas grass. Dallas grass is tough. That is. That is a tough one. Well, thank you, Walter. I'm going to go ahead and link to um, some of the articles about weeds on your site. And then I'm also going to put out a link for Clemson University, their weed control timing chart. Both of those will be up as soon as we are done talking on the Green and Growing Facebook page. Just search Facebook, Green and Growing WSB. Good to talk to you, Ashley. You too. I'll talk to you next Saturday. You bet. See you then. This is Green and Growing with you until 9 o'clock this morning. And then, yeah, Dave Baker comes in from 9 to noon with the Home Fix-It show. He's already here this morning. He's here really early. I never get here that early. But anyways, uh, Brad Nitz, he is along this weekend as well in for Kirk Mellish, Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz, uh, predicting pretty nice weather this weekend for your Labor Day holiday. A high of around 89 today, low around 68. The chance of rain is really low and pretty much carbon copies for Sunday and Monday. Highs in the mid-80s, lows in the mid-60s. Just a mix of sun and clouds and a little less humid tomorrow than today. So that's really good news. 404-872-0750. Nicole, a little late, but better late than never this morning. How are you? Ashley, how are you doing? So you made a, a little trip, uh, had a little adventure out uh, in the last few days. Where did you go? I went to the food bank. And what did you find? Well, it's not too far from from here. And every time, it's been going on since March. And every time I go by there, it's always full of cars. You can hardly get around. So I park a long way, and I said, I'm going inside to see what's happening there. Yeah. I could not believe it. In In a good way. Yes. 
No farmer, remember that, no farmer, no food. We need the bees and we need all those uh, little things that pollinate. And uh, even farmers, they need, you know, uh, in California, I was going many years ago, and they had those big uh, um, bees. I mean, way up there, they have bees that go and pollinate mm-hmm. things. Okay, I went inside the food bank. And I was telling myself, a lot of people going without food, but it's only good food. It's fr- there's no chips, there's no junk. It's only fruit and vegetable, potato, tomatoes, and sometimes it's better than the food store. Oh yeah. I, I saw ginger. They have a little maybe a uh, uh, thing on it, but you go home and paring knife and uh, a lot of grapes and a lot of uh, lime and things, you know. And I said, man, there's a lot of need, a lot every 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 week, uh, twice a week. It's always full of people. Thank goodness the community has really become yes. more and more generous and more aware of people's needs and people's sacrifices, especially, like you said, this has been going on since March. So I want to commend places like the Atlanta Community Food Bank who are helping so many families stay afloat, making sure the school systems, too, the local school systems, making sure over the summer that the children were fed and received two meals a day, you know, despite being out of school the school systems are still very active in that if anybody needs any help right now atlanta community food bank their website is acfb.org and you just click on find help and there's so many ways to get in touch with your local food pantry even if you're not in the city and i mean nicole you're down in spalding county anywhere around metro atlanta uh they're able to help there and i also nicole got to meet during the carathon um, I was put in touch with someone by uh, Shelly Winter, our, our host here at WSB, Latron Price. He works with uh, Westside Community Market. And during COVID-19, he and his folks have been doing some amazing things. Like you said, getting food from farmers. And it was a win-win. So their crops didn't spoil and go bad. They were able to work out something to where they shared their overproductions with people like Latron and the Atlanta Community Food Bank and making sure that others have what they need. And that's so important, those people who mobilize and just know that there's a need, but they can't get the food from the farm to the family's table. So we need all those intermediaries. I'm so glad you had a good experience. Um, How would you encourage people, Nicole, if they needed help, how would you encourage them to go about just going to the food bank? Well, you go to the food bank, okay? It's not for younger people. There's no chip. There's no junk food in it. It's just all the people we know how to uh, not to waste anything, okay? You, like Mr. Reeve always say, you take a little paring knife. It's not, you know, that big of a deal. But it was all the people that can conserve. If you get a whole... A tree of uh, tomatoes, you know, you just can them or keep them for salsa or something, you know. But the young generation is going to go to the uh, um, to the McDonald's and things like this. We need to preserve the food because we don't know the next day if we're going to have food. If not, 
put it in the backyard and let the small animal feed on. Yeah, Opa use it. needs it and uh, right. rat needs it. Use it for compost, share it with neighbors. That's right. You're blessed if you're able to harvest your own food and grow your own food and keep that in mind, the sharing with others. Well, Nicole, I've, I've got about a minute here and I'm really, really glad you called about that. And folks, by the way, Nicole and I, we don't, we don't speak before the show. So Nicole calls genuinely with things she sees, things she's experienced. And so I didn't put her up to this. I think that's a wonderful thing you're calling about. Um, but really quickly, I was talking about my garden to-do list and the three things. And one of those was clean out hummingbird feeders and make sure they're full. You and I were talking, those guys travel a long way just to stay warm for the winter time, don't they? Five hundred miles. They Man. put a camera inside a little uh, guy's neck. Five hundred miles in one shot. Holy they are cow. not stopping any place. The trip needs to be done. That's right. If some some of them will survive, some of them will not. Oh, I know. It's a long way for them to go, but we can help them stock up on energy. We keep the feeders full. All right, Nicole, I got to run, but I'm so glad you called, and that was a good message for folks who need help. ACFB.org for the Atlanta Community Food Bank. We'll be back with our number two of Green and Growing right here on WSB. wooden rocking chair. I want rocking right beside me. Every day that passes, I only love her more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.